What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 162. My good God, 162 episodes of Armchair Producers. And we have maintained this level of high average quality for years now. Years, ladies and gentlemen. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the one that brings peace, serenity, and the gentle kiss of death to us all, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. Uh, I think you've been generous calling it average quality. Have you heard some of our early work? Um... <laughs> oh, maybe that could be our sponsors. <laughs> GNT podcast. <laughs> For all goodness, we wouldn't put anybody Inception through that. Podcasts. Um, we wouldn't put anyone through that. <laughs> um, how are you this week? I believe it's uh, approaching Christmas in Australia. We have Christmas in Australia. Yep. It is officially less than two months until Christmas, until the big day. We have got less than one month until Black Friday, which is stupid because we don't celebrate Thanksgiving here. So why do we have Black Friday? Because capitalism, ladies and gentlemen, that's why. Um, and it means a lot more work for me. So please be kind to your retail workers over the next two and a half months. They deserve it. And if not, they can make your life horrible. <laughs> just a subtle, you know. Yeah, you, you might you know, deny that. Right there. You might well deny from that exclusive copy of Uno that your company is stocking. Oh well, don't get between a man and his Uno, man. You you just don't do that shit. There's there's certain things that you don't do. <laughs> so it's a big show this week, I think. Maybe not quite as big as last week, but do you want to give the yeah, uh, the out there ahead of down for you? So, ladies and gentlemen, last week we talked about our chain movie of the week which was the 1999 ben stiller starring superhero movie mystery man and care of that delightful piece travis has chosen to follow on to the godfather of our podcast kevin smith's more rats again um like i say kevin smith is the is the the, the godfather of our show but has he still got what he used to have? And well, if you listened to my review of Cloak 3 last week, the answer would be no. More important question, does what he had stand the test of time? That's so we will find out. We will find out with the chain movie of the week. We have both had a chance to watch at least the first episode, if not a little bit more, of the new Prime sci-fi series brought to us by Jonathan Nolan and uh, something Joy. I can't remember. The writing team behind the new Westworld series um, called The Peripheral, starring Chloe Grace Moritz. Um, Travis also watched new Netflix movie, The Stranger, as well as the first part of season two of Avenue 5, Armando Iannucci's TV show. I, meanwhile, took in the charming delights of the sequel to Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which is, it was released on Friday. It is Mario plus Rabbids Spark of Hope as well as the big movie, the movie that has been coasting along in development hell for about 15 years at the point, this point, and finally released Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Black Adam at the cinema. God, I actually went to the cinema. And it the cinema? Crazy. They still have those? Yes, the cineplex, as they say. So we've got quite a, quite a show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I also have this week's new chain movie to follow on from. 
and um, it's a bit of a different one from what we've been doing recently. So um, lots of exits on that one. Lots of ways out of more rats. So yeah, and I'm giving you plenty of exits for this next one as well. But last but not least, before we get into the show, don't forget all of this month I am walking for mental health charity. Um, please, 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 I am going to actually do something a little different, and I will put this actually in the messages as well. Um, but I have got, we'll see if this works, if people can freeze frame, the, probably not because it's out of focus, but I have, a, <laughs> I have a QR code if you want to donate towards the Black Do Black it again, Black. I'll see if it works. Oh, ah. uh, uh, second. Uh, no, I don't think it's going to uh, work. No, it didn't work. No, it didn't work. Mind. I will pop it up on the Facebooks, on the Twitters, on the YouTubes. Probably not the YouTube, honestly. I'm lazy. Um, but please, if you can, donate. That would be wonderful. And another celebratory and sad truth. Last week was the final episode of the Trek Respective. That's right. Hashtag Save Michelle succeeded. She survived. She lives to fight another day. But the Trek Respective is no more. Alas, for those who loved it, we but saw it passing by. Yeah. It's like ships in the night of a starry sky. We have been, I don't know, I mean, we have been other ideas bouncing around about potential mm -hmm. replacements. Um, Michelle and I have been in conversation. The real mm. question is, what other series? There are very few series of films which meet would have anywhere near as many films as Trek. So, other than maybe James Bond would have more. James um, Bond definitely would have more. I mean, the other one that you could do, we we did bandy around the idea of um, wrestlers in in legitimate movies. You could do the Hulk movie mania, the Wrestlespective. <laughs> Respective. Um, Matt, I might broach that idea with Michelle tonight after the show and see what she thinks. I am I'm using my powers to, to to you know to spoil movies for myself. I'm going to spoil that conversation for myself and you. It's going to be uh, no. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many films Hogan's actually done. I mean, it can't be terribly many. Can it? He's apparently got 185 acting credits. Um, I think that, that does also include a lot of WWE stuff. It does, yeah. yeah. WWE Next, NXT, and video yeah. games and stuff like that. But actual features would be uh, thin on the ground, I would think. Well, you've got uh, Suburban Commander, you've got Mr. Nanny, you've got Secret Agent Club, Rocky um, Three, Rocky Three. You've got uh, Three Ninjas uh, at, at something Mountain or something. Um, I know too many movies with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I don't trust him, people. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Santa, especially if you forgot Santa with muscles. Um, <laughs> uh, and he's he's upcoming. He's got a film upcoming next year, The Adventures of Tiki the Wonder Dog. Aren't we all looking forward to that? One? Well, that is next year's big movie, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Have you had a chance to check out the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium? Yes, I did see that. Okay. Do you that want to have is by far the most Marvel trailer I've seen this week. It's a Marvel trailer. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone can question that. 
Yep. And it involves Marvel characters who are going to be in an upcoming film. Yes, absolutely. It It, it is the most Marvel trailer of all Marvel trailers to Marvel trailer. It just, it's just, it was a complete yawn fest to me mm. until the final mm. scene. The final scene is like, okay, okay, yep. now we're getting somewhere. Now we're going to get this, what are we, phase 72 back on track and actually start just wandering aimlessly through films. We're going to have an arc mm-hmm. again. We've got mm-hmm. to be bad now. Yep. Uh, and that's Kang, which we had met, of course, but, yes. you know, you had to bring him into the film somewhere. And personally, I think it's a disappointing failure by Marvel that they've kept him out this long. Yeah, I mean, it's considering the how deftly they were able to slowly incorporate and make audiences aware of Thanos. Thanos, I would argue, for the lay for the layman, laywoman, layperson. Thanos is probably people have probably got more reference, a point of reference with Thanos than they do Kang. And yet they have not really done anything to drip feed us Kang, even in Loki, where it was the first official appearance of a variation of Kang. They didn't refer to him as Kang. Okay. Um, Probably need to, you know, coach the audience a little bit more for this one, at least with. Thanos, we had him being the underlying power behind Loki, and everyone loved Loki. And yet there was a, like, oh, there's a power behind the throne, so to speak, etc., etc. We haven't had any of that level of storytelling here. We haven't had a, fine, I'll do it myself moment or anything like that. It's like, all right. Who's this guy suddenly coming in from stage left? <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's as we keep saying, if you want to be up to date with what Marvel's doing in the films, you need to do your homework. Mm-hmm. And that's, yes. up to, that's the Marvel series. Is, I mean, honestly, maybe you could probably miss skip Miss Marvel, um, She Hulk as well. From the sounds of it, didn't mm-hmm. seem to contribute to the entire arc. But you would basically have had to have watched WandaVision uh, yes. and today, and if otherwise, Strange. Strange would have made no sense. Yep. And Loki now Loki, for. Yeah. Wasp and Quantum Media to come to make sense because who is Kang? If you haven't watched Loki, you've got no idea how he clicks into things. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier will become more relevant whenever we get back to whatever the next thing they're doing in Captain America. Invasion. That's a TV okay. show as well, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, um, no, I think it's now changed to a movie. I don't know. There was, there was, a, there was. Either it, there was either a movie that became a TV show or a TV show that became a movie or possibly both. It's hard to keep up with Marvel. IMDb says TV miniseries with six episodes next year. There we go. So, we go. Um, so uh, look, I mean, that's fine. You know, he's uh, Ant-Man's a um, legacy character from the went back when Marvel was good. They haven't mm-hmm. successfully introduced a new hero subsequently. In my opinion, someone would say Captain Marvel. I, obviously, my opinion differs on that one. Um, so, um, I it could still be good. Thor I mean, is a legacy character, and they they shat the bed with that one. So, that, you know, what can we do? But look forward I mean, to, to it. be fair, Ant Man has you know this is his third movie, third standalone movie, and the quality has 
uh, you know, retained. It's not been fantastic or anything like that, but it's it's been solid. The first two movies were both solid, especially the first one after Edgar Wright leaving and the production problems that they had with that. It was impressive that they were able to get as good as they did. Um, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp came out, and it's like, okay, it's still a solid film. It's still engaging. So it's got more of a track record of general stability of franchise compared to Thor for death. Well, we really only had the one, but it, it soared higher than the Ant-Man ever did with mm. Ragnarok. But um, mm. it, it was it was apparently that was the, the blip, um, mm. if you're no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so... Look, it's it's fine. Oh, oh, we're going to see it anyway. Hmm. You know, I I, I, I haven't quite um, driven me off for films just yet. Hmm. But the TV industry, shows, yes. The industry changing thing, the announcement that uh, James Gunn is going to be co-heading DC films going forwards, and this news comes out on the same day that the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Um, trailer came out and it looks exactly what it's trying to be which is cheesy James Gunn fun inter uh, interlude between Guardians of the Galaxy movies but um, interesting that uh, they I guess there was such a such a positive partnership when james gunn came over and made the suicide squad and um peacemaker. peacemaker tv show they went yeah we trust this guy and yeah i would uh, yeah i think it's a great call um mm -hmm. he's really proven himself to be a highly consistent uh filmmaker mm -hmm. uh, i don't think i've seen a james gunn film i didn't like um True. even Scooby -Doo. Uh, i haven't seen scooby-doo he didn't direct that no, but he wrote um, it. it. I think it's on uh, Netflix at the moment. Um, but I mean, oh, sorry, he did write movie forty three. I think we watched that for the, the uh, old GNT podcast. Yeah, and that sucked. That was. Um, but I guess when films, he's actually. I mean, fairness, he didn't direct that. I don't believe. Um, no, we did directed the say actually he directed the segment of it. Sorry, uh, James, oh. that's on your that's on your fucking resume, mate. What can I say? Um, <laughs> but uh, pretty much everything else he's done has been fucking good. Yes. Most yes. of the stuff he's written has been pretty bloody good. Um, so why not give him the reins? He's someone who yeah. can do. Unlike Snyder, Snyder was a poor choice. Snyder does spectacle. Mm. Um, yeah, his films look amazing. You don't get me wrong. Like you know, but you look at them and you're like, this is great. But no one's He's ever accused him of being a. No one's ever accused him of worrying about story too much. Yeah. Um. You know, or character. You know, or you know, plot or anything like that. It's all about how shit looks to him. Is it exploding mm. big enough? And I'm not necessarily a hater. I like some of see some mm. of his work. Mm. But he was not the man. Um. Mm. You wanted to build a universe. And yeah. set a course. Yeah, James Gunn may well be. Yeah, he he could be that oddball choice to actually be able to bring the elements that do work across the DC movies. He may be able to salvage stuff, but at the same time, if not, the Suicide Squad very clearly showed that 
if he doesn't see a future in the character, he'll happily just kill them off in the most entertaining way, and you will love seeing them die. So there's some way to solution that really he can't do it to the big three or four, can he? So he can't just go, I'm killing off the flash because well, Ezra Miller's a fuckwit. Because um, considering the trouble with Ezra Miller, they could just go. I mean, it's it's all up in the air with the whole fucking thing. They could just go, you know what, James? Your first job is write Crisis of Infinite Earths and hire us some good actors that aren't going to cost us a fortune. Write it so that we can keep Black Adam, uh, The Rock in it. We can keep Henry Cavill, people like him. We can do what we like with these guys coming in for Batman and for Wonder Woman and for Aquaman and all of that. But kill off whoever else you need, but set up the new one in this. And you'll probably go, yeah, all right. Give me three <laughs> movies to do it or give me a TV show to do it. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> you know what? I, I mean... This is a, this is a long-held fantasy of mine. I mean, James, if you're watching, you know he's a regular contributor mm-hmm. to the show. Oh, yeah. Silent, um, partner. Silent partner. You know, if I were well, my first front call, if I were the head of, because, I mean, maybe Snyder made the mistake of thinking he has to do it all himself. And he came in, he directed Superman. You know, he directed Dawn of mm-hmm. Justice. Kevin Feige doesn't direct shit, right? Mm-hmm. This is basically, this is making James Gunn the Kevin Feige of, of the DC universe for now. Exactly. Now, the, the, the weird thing here is he's capable of writing and directing himself. I don't think Kevin, is it fine? He gets writing credits. He's more of a producer. Yeah. Um, but what I would like to see James do is make up a phone and call George Miller and go, how would you feel about resurrecting that Justice League project? Some casting issues with that now. What with Army No, Hammer? no, no. You, you have to recast it, obviously. We, <laughs> we do not cast, we're not casting Army Hammer as anybody. <laughs> and and you're right. Like we've already, you've got to keep Momoa because he made money last time, and people, he's a big star. Yep. Uh, people, for some bizarre reason, like Henry Cavill. The man had his personality surgically removed at birth, but okay. Um, he's got a, he's he's got a nice chest, so good luck to him. Um, and the ladies, the ladies like Henry. Like, I'm not a fan of Henry Cavill. Um, you know, so you got to keep him. You're probably keeping Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, which is fine. I don't think we lost a lot when Megan Gale was cast as Wonder Woman. She's not an actor. True. Um, so maybe you need to work those guys in somehow, those established stars. But Pattinson, is Pattinson's Batman in, in this universe? Don't know. Is Affleck coming back? Don't know. Um, so it, yeah. there's still a lot of space in there for him to maybe recast some of those roles. He also had Anton Yelchin as The Flash. Didn't work out too well for anybody. Um, so you know, yes, he would have been a really good flash. I never heard, saw him do a movie without the Russian accent, so I don't know. Um, he, he was in a movie, uh, by I think it was by Stephen Sommers called uh, Odd Thomas, which is a um, uh, I think it might be like a based on a Dean Coons book or something, I don't know, but it was actually all right. It was sort of like it came and went like a fart in the wind, but it was like, and he was really good in it. He was almost kind of imbuing a little bit of Brendan Fraser from The Mummy, where he was really likable and charming, and he was able to do these sort of like action sequences relatively well without it being too much, and it worked well. But sadly, never. That was a sad story. You'd obviously have to recast probably most, if not all of the roles he had. You're not going to get most of those guys back again. Jane Baruchel was going to play Maxwell Lord. 
Um, and That's I mean, Jay Star has definitely faded in the subsequent, you know, mm. 15 years or so. But I would imagine just um, Warner still owns the script. Um, and, and, you know, at the very least, I'd be making a call to George Miller going, would you be interested in doing something with us, even not that one? Yeah. Um, launching straight into Crisis on Infinite Earths. Wow, that would be ambitious. Yeah. But at the same same time, if they could pull it off, that would be a fantastic way of just kind of getting fan service for those cameos of all of the previous actors that have ever put on the cape and cowl or every, all the other performances, all the TV shows, everything like that. Just give them their font farewell and go, okay, clean slate from here. Now we start. Boom. Anyway, we'll wait and see what happens with that, but we yeah. I think we've cracked on about this. Yes. yes. People came people came to hear about 90s slacker films. Not yes. superheroes. Ladies and gentlemen, more rats. More Give rats. us a spiel on more rats. Spiel on more rats. So obviously we followed uh Claire Fulani here, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, one of the stars of his film, made in 1995. This is the second directorial outing from Kevin Smith as the follow-up to Clerks, he wrote and directed this, starring the great Shannon Doherty before, was it, at the peak of her fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy London at, this, at the peak of his fame. Um, Jason Lee, Claire Forlani, Joey Lauren Adams, Ben Affleck at the absolute uh, start of his journey to the top. Mm-hmm. Jason Mewes, of course, Ethan Souple, the great Stan Lee, and an incredible turn by Michael Rooker. Mm-hmm. Um, again, but well before he was famous. So what is Morats about? Both dumped by their girlfriends, two best friends seek refuge in the local mall. That's a very brief synopsis. Mm-hmm. Brody Bruce, a Sega and comic book obsessed college student, and his best friend T.S. Quint are both dumped by their girlfriends on the same day. And to deal with their loss, they both go to the local mall, along the way meet up with some friends, including William, a guy who stares at magic eye pictures, desperately trying to see the hidden image. Gwen, one of T's ex-girlfriends, and Jay and Silent Bob of Clerks fame. Eventually, they try to decide to win and win back their significant others and take care of their respective nemeses, T.S.'s girlfriend, father, and a store clerk who hates the two for not having any shopping agenda. That's great. Um, <laughs> shopping. So um, we have uh, Jeremy London, who's playing T.S. Quint, and mm-hmm. Jason Lee playing Brody. The names are obviously nods to... Jaws, um, uh, mm-hmm. Brody is your stereotype. Basically, Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. uh, stoner, slacker, collects comic books. But his comic book collection in the film was Kevin's. Um, That's right. Wa- yeah. Wakes up in the morning at nine thirty and tells his girlfriend, "Let's go back to sleep," only to pick up the Sega controller to pick up the game where he was at last night while he's in bed next to nineteen ninety five Shannon Doherty. Mm-hmm. Not saying the man should be questioning his sexuality. Just saying there are options out there, Jason. Mm. Um, but, uh, oh my god, I had to, I had a bit of a crush on Shannon Doherty back in the nineties. Um, Jeremy London uh, gets dumped by his girlfriend after shenanigans ensue. After he dressed as a Civil War reenactor or something, uh, accidentally shoots at uh, the local mayor. I, should know, I saw the extended edition, so you're looking confused. That may not yeah, be. Yeah, that was not in the version that I watched. Yes, he, I, I was finding myself going, hang on a second. 
I don't remember this stuff, but yes, it was in the, <laughs> I watched the extended edition, which has a scene at the start where uh, uh, Claire Falani's Brandy is doing some uh, astronomy work with a telescope on top of a building. Uh, mm. T.S. turns up dressed as like an old-time soldier with a fake rifle, which somehow fires um, and gets it caught in her hair after they have an argument. Uh, he wants her to go on holiday with him to Florida. Mm. She's agreed to help out her dad and be a contestant on his TV show. Her mm. dad is this event trying to suck up to a local politician, uh, and T.S. Uh, ruins it. Um, by uh, accidentally uh, discharging his gun while he's got the gun caught in his girlfriend's hair and the uh, politician's uh, uh, bodyguard thinks he's being shot at and so it's, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's, if you're like me and you've never seen that before, it actually kind of makes the film better in a sense like a lot of what happens afterwards makes a lot more sense with that scene inserted. Okay. Because that's when we meet Svenig as well, which is played by Michael Rooker, who is um, Brandy's dad. Mm. who is a local TV host who plays, um, uh, hosts a game show. It's basically mm. the dating game. Basically, yeah. Um, now, the first thing I noticed after that, after realising, hang on a second, I didn't, yeah. Do you, do you ever download movies back in the day and it wasn't what it said in the box? Yep. I reckon I, I, well, downloaded, I was downloading The Predator. It was the porn movie Deep Throat. I reckon I downloaded uh, White Chicks about four times disguised as other films back in the day. I never watched that. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Worse than downloading Deep Throat. <laughs> um, <laughs> big time. So um, it, it was like, oh, okay, this is more accurate. The thing I noticed once we actually get to the mall mm. uh, and we meet uh, the, the cast of characters, Jane, Son, and Bob, is, my mm. God, this is verbose. It's incredibly verbose. That kind of uh, dialogue that he doesn't do that dialogue anymore, you know, like um, – that kind of conversational dialogue between people where they would use ultra long sentences and use very complicated ways of describing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon that was a thing in the nineties. It has gone away and I think we're richer for it, but the, the, the very verbose dialogue instantly punched me in the gut. I'm like, Oh wow. Yes. I remember when Kevin used to do this, he was quite um, economic with the dialogue, I think in uh, clerks because he had to be. And mm. he had a budget this time, and he was prepared to use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then add to that all the superhero references. And you're like, okay, yes, that's right. Star Wars references, superhero references. Mm-hmm. This is late 90s or mid-90s Kevin Smith to mm-hmm. a T. Yep. And that made me think, actually. Mm. I mentioned last week I didn't I didn't care for Clerks 3. If you didn't watch last week, you can go back and check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was deeply disappointed. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think it um, hasn't helped um, Kevin's work subsequently is in 1995, mm. 94, early when Clerks came out, who was making movies with these sort of pop culture references? No one is the answer. Maybe Joss Whedon was the other guy who would insert this kind of thing into stuff he was writing. But I... Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer movie came out maybe 93. I've never seen it, so I don't know the if it had other, that kind of... The only other name that comes to mind, and it's not, it wouldn't have been pop, modern pop culture references, but Tarantino. And it, yeah. really, it was it's always... Yeah, kind of, stuff. Yeah, but that's kind of it. And even then, that's, Reservoir Dogs came out in 1994. 
And that was that kind of a conversation about Madonna and Lucky Star and, you know, dick, 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 dick. Uh, you know, that was that was probably as close as we come. But mm. it was more like the deeply geeky culture that Kevin Smith was referencing of, mm. you know, video games, superheroes, Star Wars. That was the kind of stuff that was not popularly spoken about in film. Mm. You, that was, I think that was what I used to appreciate about these films was, the conversations that these characters like T.S. and Quint would have, uh, Brody would have, yeah. uh, the kind of conversations I would have with my friends. Exactly. And you're like, seeing that on the big screen, if you ever wonder about why representation matters, people, seeing yourself on the big screen is fucking awesome. And like, yeah. seeing the kind of conversations on the big screen where you have with your mates, it's hilarious, like having a conversation about whether Lois Lane could have set, could um, carry Superman's baby and whether the sperm would punch through her like a shotgun, as, as um, Brody seems to think it will. Um, that's the kind of stupid shit. Not, I wouldn't say we just specifically had that conversation, but mm. it's the kind of stupid conversation I could see us having. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that was really new and unique at the time. Let's fast forward to almost 30 years later. All of the superhero films um, are the gold standard of cinema in that sense mm. we're completely overrun by them in TV mm. shows and movies. Um, and, you know, Marvel is the biggest thing in the world, basically. Uh, Star Wars, now owned by Disney, we have been shoved Star Wars content down our throat on a regular yep. basis. Mm -hmm. And referencing this kind of stuff is completely run of a mill. The it's whole quippy pop culture references. Yeah. Marvel's done it to death. Yeah, it's to the point of cliche. And so it's almost like they, the quotes in The Godfather, you know, oh, super fishes, you know. It was really unique and original in the 70s, and now it's a cliche. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. And to that point, it's the overall film of More Rats kind of, it feels dated for many reasons. But at the same time, it does feel a bit like um, in a bit of a time capsule of itself because the tropes that are on display there were very much of that, that tiny sliver of so like 94 to 99 where indie movies by geek directors and writers were in vogue. And there, that was where the new interesting talent was coming from. You had Tarantino coming onto the scene. You had Robert Rodriguez. You had Kevin Smith. You've got Joss Whedon going into directing. You've got these, um, even to a lesser extent, or in, in a different degree, you had Chris Nolan starting to slowly make his, uh, make his approach, but on, on that far more artistic side of things, using following and that sort of stuff. The Wachowskis. Yes. And... It was, it was in this little kind of spot where they've either kind of fallen to the wayside or become niche in their own regard and success is because this is a Tarantino movie or this is a Christopher Nolan movie. The rest have kind of not got that identity of brand anymore. Like Kevin Smith had that brand for a long time and to a lesser degree, he still does because of the the lifestyle that he has and the prolific nature of his appearances. He's always hosting IMDb things. He's always doing his podcasts. He's doing shows. And he makes sure 
that he's part of the conversation with all of the pop culture stuff. But his work has not got that same cachet to it anymore. Well, because the qualities did. Yeah. And I think that's maybe because he stayed where he was and the rest of the world sort of kept moving. Yeah. And a movie full of pop culture quips and Star Wars references in the mid-90s kicked goals, really hit the nail on the head for what people mm-hmm. wanted. Now we can get it anywhere. Yeah. You know, like, and it's kind of been done. So yeah. um, it, it, I enjoyed it seeing it again here because I remember how fresh it was when I saw it the first time. Mm. Um, but now you write it, it just feels, well, you get that time capsule element, which you enjoy. The rest mm. of it is kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. A, a film about the sex life of superheroes. Yeah. Actually, if that's probably something that could be possibly done, you know, like shit. Yeah. Well, they did do that. Brian Singer had Lois Lane have Superman's kid. So, yeah. you know. There's your answer, Brody. They have. They even had. It was one. It was the the inciting joke for the Will Smith Hancock movie. That movie was originally called Tonight He Comes, and that's a pun on him having superpowered sperm. And there's a bit in the movie where it just shoots out the top of his caravan. It's there. <laughs> these these things have been done. We've seen them now. So that said, yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm really sticking the boots into this. Yeah, I kind so. of enjoyed part of this film. Yeah. Um, uh, at, I think the version you would have seen was 134 minutes, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, I am the version I saw, the anniversary edition, runs mm-hmm. two hours and two minutes. So isn't this professional of us that we watch different versions? We probably should have <laughs> I didn't realize it until I'm I like didn't, didn't know that there was a, a, a Smith cut. Yeah, two, a 10th anniversary extended edition it was. There we go. Um, so let me just say, at two, well, that, remember I mentioned that early opening scene kind of helps in some senses. Mm. But two hours is way too much for this film. It yeah. really sags in the first half. Mm. Um, the second half, I feel it really picks up and actually does start to get some laughs out of me. Mm. Um, when uh, uh, T.S., is working to try and win back uh, Brandy, despite the fact that Brandy is going on to a dating show, a game show. Um, how they manage to do it is quite funny. Their behavior mm. in the show is quite funny. And mm. when the film kind of moves around, having two protagonists is a bit iffy. It doesn't really mm. quite work. Whose story are we really interested in here? The mm. film kind of seems to realize halfway through and spends a lot more time on Brody because Jason Lee... I think he probably should have been the breakout star of this film, but I don't think he was. Um, I mean, he kind of was. I mean, he's, his star has definitely faded now. But, you know, like, he was in a bunch of things. He is our link for, for, the, for the chain movie this week. Um, there were a, a bunch of things where he came in, and one of his most enjoyable roles was him as the voice of Syndrome in uh, The Incredibles. Um, I didn't even realise that. I mean, he's certainly the most famous, probably because of his TV work, when he was in My Name is Earl for a number mm-hmm. of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did, he's done a lot of Kevin Smith's other films, including Chasing Amy mm-hmm. uh, and Dogma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Mm-hmm. He was in Almost Famous and a few other things. But, I mean, that's a good five years after this. So his career kind of meant on a steady ascent. Mm. I thought he was wonderful in this. He's very funny and witty. It's almost um, Jack Black in high fidelity esque in the sense that he really probably wasn't the star of a film. 
Mm. But he made the film about him by his performance being so over yeah. the top and, and funny. He's um, very charismatic in his callousness. And yes. you you can't help but see the kind of the shittiness of him as a character. But at the same time, you kind of go, oh, he's got a fucking point. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I wonder if it's because that's basically Kevin Smith. I, you know, yeah. A bit like Woody Allen directing a film that he shall not be named, um, <laughs> making films where someone else will play Woody Allen like um, yeah. Kenneth Branagh or uh, Larry David. You know, that yeah. character was always the most interesting one because, you know, that was the one a director could spend a lot of time writing and they knew how to make him um, uh, make mm-hmm. him a real person. Whereas T.S. kind of felt like a lot of a romantic protagonist that Kevin tries yeah. to write and they're kind of anemic and wishy-washy and then don't really feel as convincing or as interesting as the cynical smart asses. That is kind of the crux of the uh, of the movie and where it kind of f- fails for me. You've got these two protagonists and one of them is Kevin Smith at the point where he was preaching to the masses for I want to see this. And everyone was totally agreeing with that and yes it was entertaining to see this guy come up and just go oh my god nerd culture geek culture yes this is fantastic whereas on the flip side in the 90s we were just bombarded by fucking rom-coms to the point of death like failure to launch and shit like that was just trash and you've got T.S. and Brody doing that. And the movie kind of tries to marry the two together by having this, it feels like an odd friendship between Brody and T.S. You kind of go, all right, these two, yes, they're friends, but I don't quite get how or why. They do seem to be somewhat different in their ideologies, but they like, mostly seem to like spending time with each other. Although Brody doesn't seem to like spending time with anyone. Um, and then having the end of the movie kind of go, oh, no, this is, well, we're trying to make it a romance comedy. Come on, let's get it over the over the line. Too many happy endings at the end of this. That was the problem for me by the end of it. It's like, okay, I like overall what you're serving, but too many happy endings. Yeah, um, and I wonder how they're going to deal with that in the sequel. So one of the mm. reasons I thought this might be worth a look is we're getting a sequel, Twilight of the Morats. Um, yep. and we have the postscript, you know, Brody mm-hmm. went on to become a successful tonight. She hosted the tonight show and Yadi and TS and, and Brandy got married at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, look, this is a possibility there. This could be again, something interesting. If mm. we deal with the fact that 30 years have passed and I would be looking forward to a fairly cynical, because <laughs> there's some cynical characters in this. Yeah, retelling of what 30 years can do to someone like, um, you know, uh, how many people do we, do you know a listener or you and I know who, you know, started life one way in their mid twenties and you skip forward 20 years and they're like, you know, yeah. um, you took a yeah. wrong turn at Albuquerque somewhere, my friend, <laughs> um, you know, uh, wouldn't that be an interesting story to tell? Like Jason Lee's, you know, uh, like Kanye West unemployed and, tweeting anti-Semitic shit or something like that. And T.S. and Brandy have long since gone separate ways, but they share a kid and they hate each other. I mean, okay, maybe that doesn't sound like fodder for comedy, but 
something a, a little bit less saccharine would be nice. Mm, yes. I I kind of am nervous that it's going to be the current Kevin Smith thing where, like, the, the social commentary that he was trying to have in Clerks 2 with um, um, Dante, I think it was Dante, yeah? Yes. Um, try, deciding whether he wants to go with the very serious marriage relationship life wear a suit to work and all of that stuff or go to go with rosario dawson who's more fun and natural and this is this is the way the life should be kind of thing that very opposite ends of the spectrum kind of hollywood simplification of something um they kind of got it right overall but kevin has proven that he's not great at doing a full movie about that and so i the realist in me would kind of go yep ts and brandy probably divorced i don't want to and brody and um what's her face renee renee thank you not together and it's it's ugly but i also kind of see kevin smith kind of going oh wouldn't be fun to see this guy who just can't get over the, the ex. It's like, mm, we've, we've fucking seen that movie a thousand times. It's been done to death. You don't have anything new to add to that space. Mm. The other interesting thing here, I think, is that the mall is kind of a character in this film. Mm-hmm. And, and I found that an interesting addition to this film is that malls are very much not what they used to be particularly in the United States. I mean, there are a whole series of guys who do YouTube videos on dead malls. Mm. Um, and I can say, because I visit friends there sometimes, and, you know, going there in 2008 and, visit, and going to the mall from Espo and there in 2016, the last time I was there, mm. it was night and day. Like, yeah. these places are often deserted. Um, so the mall being such a, a busy, you know, popular place with so much going on, Mm. Uh, kind of reminded me of what they used to be like here once upon a time. That's not quite happened in Australia the same way. Mm. Um, but that would be an interesting angle for this new film to take as well. It'd be like, well, malls are dying. Amazon's yeah. taken over. What does that do to the mall rats, you know? Um, I would and- actually kind of like to, with, with that idea of the mall being a character, I would like to kind of go, all right, both of these guys, they've maintained a friendship, but it's tenuous at best. Because to for each of them, they're a memory of a better time. And they're kind of like, like one of them is literally working in like the the dive mall that they go to the um, three nippled uh, yeah. fortunes. That's where they've ended up. And um, Jason Lee's character is there because it's the cheapest place that his very faded star can get paid to open up a new discount shop or something like that. And it's just that, that would be more interesting. Yes. Um, I I think I with you though, that we're going to get something interesting. Mm. We're going to get, well, if Kirk's free is any guide, it's just going to be member berries and nostalgia and member, member this, you remember Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. they did this? Um, there's a lot they won't be able to do in the sequel because the politics of his film 
Oh, <laughs> it is not good. They are very, uh, very messy. Very, very uncomfortable. To the mention of you mentioned the the uh, the topless uh, fortune teller. You might get away with that part today, but mm -hmm. heading in there, TS doesn't want to visit a, to a topless fortune teller, and Brady mm -hmm. just calls him. You're a homosexual. Basically, accuses you're a homosexual, and you're like, mm -hmm. mm, no, what? Well, there you go. You can't say that anymore. You can't. You can't you can't use that as, a, as a, an insult these days. So mm. there's that. There's uh, Kevin Smith constantly, inadvertently breaking into dressing rooms while women are changing. I think mm. that's really not cool these days. Um, mm. Joey Lauren Adams changing her underwear in the middle of a store. It seems a bit exploitative. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe not. I think he was Kevin's girlfriend at the time, if I'm not mistaken, but... Okay. They were involved at some point. Maybe that's why he put that in. Um, the uh, the young girl, uh, Trisha, I think mm. it is, who oh, is a 15-year-old yep. who's regularly, who's basically insinuated that she had sex with um, Ben Affleck's character, Shannon, mm -hmm. who we aren't told how old he is, but he seems like an adult. And yeah. worse than that, at the end of the film, uh, they had... Uh, the Bob Jan Silent Bob's uh, nemesis is the small security guard. Um, mm. What's the guy's name? Lafoy? Le... Uh, le, le, yeah. Le, um, hang on. Uh, either way, he has a very unusual name. Uh, Lafors. Yes. Uh, is a small security guard. And they distract him while they take over the game show by mm. having Trisha sleep with him. Now, there's no that Trisha sleeps with people as part of a psychological experiment or something, and she's doing research for a book. That's not in the version that I saw. You sure? There's yeah. a little bit where she, she talks about coding the research in the book. I'm sure that was in the original. Not for... No. She doesn't no. talk about her book? She she talks about her book, but she doesn't sleep with the security... Mulgar. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Um, another change that was in the extended edition. So... It's insinuated. It's not even insinuated that you said to distract him. Nope. And for for me, the thing that's actually worse than that is the fact that she has successfully gathered a publishing deal for this book. It's like she, huh, she she's underage. She's having sex, and someone's going, "Yes, we'll pay you for this." this oh, it's, it's such a twist. Well, that's twisted, and it gets worse in the extended edition, and because. They, they, do, they, don't, they don't just insinuate that Trish sleep with LaFors to distract him. She seduces him. And there is a scene uh, at the end of the film, uh, towards the end of the film, where uh, they are in a dumpster or something and LaFors stands up and it's insinuated he's naked in there with her. Uh, and I think there's, I don't know if it was in the original version or just the uh, extended edition I did, one of the postscript scenes insinuated, mm. insinuated they was together. Um and you're like, now there's no question in anyone's mind that LaFour's character is very much an adult. Yes. So uh, the the insinuation that he was um, a very direct indication mm -hmm. he was sleeping with a 15-year-old girl yeah. is really gross and yeah. actually kind of made me feel a little bit dirty just watching go, oh, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know. what That wasn't okay in the 90s, mm -hmm. was it? No. That was never okay. Never. Uh, so there, the politics of this film really, really mm -hmm. dated and it really yeah. shows up. And it's interesting. I, I, I know we're not watching Chasing Amy next, but 
I suspect if we watched Chasing Amy, it would be just as bad. Yeah. Um, like, and I remember really liking Chasing Amy back in the day, but I suspect it maybe doesn't hold up for that reason as well. Yeah. Um, the the sexual politics and and the way the characters address each other mm. probably not okay by today's today's standards. Sorry. I want to highlight two bits that I really did overall enjoy. Um, first of all, um, it's uh, Ethan Supley as William uh, Williams, yes. <laughs> and just the, just how how dejected he goes throughout that whole thing, and just is his evolution of story through minimal minimal dialogue and just him just every time being cranked up a notch and just to like, why can't I see the boat? <laughs> just escalating throughout the whole thing. He does it really well. I really it, enjoy that. It's funny. like the yeah. whole scene of, um, I'm so stupid. It's not a sailboat. It's a schooner. A schooner <laughs> is a sailboat. There is no Easter buddy. That go there's just a guy in a suit. And that 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 leads me to to the other part of it, um, the Jay and Silent Bob being very much those guys, those friends that just trust, and the fact they just kind of go, oh, okay, he told us that he got beaten up by the rabbit. We're gonna go beat up the rabbit. Beating <laughs> up the Easter Bunny is the highlight of the film. Um, <laughs> Jay, Jay and Silent Bob really come into their own here. They were very much sort of side characters in the last in Clerks. Mm -hmm. You can sort of see why they go on to become such important characters and got their own movie because they're fantastic mm -hmm. to watch in this film. Yeah. Um, I liked Stan Lee in this. I think he was decent mm -hmm. um, for Stan Lee, who's not an actor. Uh, yeah. It was nice to see him pop up here. But as I hinted earlier, my other highlight of this film was Michael Brooker, who is just a wonderful villain as Svenig. And Svenig, Svenig um, weird name. Um, and just choose the scenery, and mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. wonderfully dislikable in this film. It, it, apparently, he didn't mean to shave his head. That was sort of an accidental thing, but it works so well because yeah. it looks so disgusting. Like, yeah, there, there's there's almost like um, a mall grade Lex Luthor to him, and it just works. And everything about it, just this like the smarmies, like oh, one good turn deserves another, and the fact he just keeps on stealing the the coated candies and just, just like smearing it all over his face, even though it's, it's he's. He just relishes every fucking scene. He, he's brilliant. Forget what a great actor he is and why it took Snuckle Michael Walker so long to find his place in Hollywood. Unfortunately, because of the difficulty of finding it, I was going to go to Harry, uh, Harry, uh, Henry, um, Portrait of a Serial Killer as our next movie, but it is not available to rent or buy anywhere in Australia at this point. So I've gone a different route but I would have loved to go that route because Michael Rooker is awesome. And that would have been interesting. This is Michael Rooker from the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm glad to have seen this again. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't hate it. As I said, two hours, bit long. So you'd really mm -hmm. need to be a you probably would be a fantasy the extended edition most of the time anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, you can again, sometimes I feel like a film. Is made by what you cut out, not what you leave in. And I think the cuts yeah. mostly work. And well, I mm -hmm. haven't seen a 90 minute version for a long time, but 90 minutes of this would probably be a lot closer to the mark. 90 minutes is just a beautiful time for a movie to be anyway. And I miss that, that we don't have that time anymore. Um, 
it was uh, me and my girlfriend, we watched it together and we both enjoyed it. We both laughed at bits and pieces, but we both agreed that, yeah, it was too saccharine sweet at the end, even with the jaded outlook um, that Brody presents. Um, but still, overall, enjoyable with a lot of aged flaws in the on the social scale. Um, I think... If you've got nothing else to say, you have the keys. And we are following Jason yes. Lee. We are following Jason Lee to a movie, unsurprisingly. Um, the stars Jason Lee. It stars Jason Lee. is directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who Lawrence Kasdan um, wrote um, some Star Wars. He wrote some Indiana Jones. He's had his name attached to a few great movies. So when this movie came out, when it was announced, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. <gasps> Wait, and it's based on a Stephen King book? Okay, I'm curious. It didn't come out very, and get well well received. We are talking about Dreamcatcher, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, yes, I have seen this, and this is a stinking pile of shit. Yeah, but there are plenty of ways for us to get out of it. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a problem. It, 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 the yeah. problem will be that it is a stinking pile of shit. I'm curious to see, because I don't remember why I didn't like it. I just remember that I was unimpressed. And so I'm curious. I, would, I can give you a hint. It's because it's a steaming pile of shit. But um, you're right. There's some, it's it, the, the quality on display here, as you said, mm -hmm. directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, mm -hmm. who's got a, a great pedigree. Uh, he uh, wrote The Big Chill, mm -hmm. uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not bad stuff to have on your um, your resume. Never been yep. much of a director, but he did direct The Big Chill, which is highly regarded. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen King as the uh, basis of your novel. William Goldman and Lawrence Kasdan wrote the screenplay, and you got Morgan Freeman. William Goldman. He directed the. Uh, he wrote the Princess Bride and all the President's Men. And Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Marathon Man. I yeah, mean, he's done fucking tons. He's the guy is. That's what I mean. It's the guy is seriously royalty as Hollywood writers go. And yet, this is what came out. So um, mm -hmm. it will be interesting to go back and see if it's any better. Mm -hmm. All these years later. This is available to stream on Stan in Australia. So if you want to join us, please do so. That is our next link in the chain. Hashtag link in the chain. <laughs> it's now time for our commercial break before we get on to more modern content. Let's do this. Let's go. What is our, uh, who are our sponsors? Our sponsor this week, uh, inspired, I think, by your early suggestion for our Trek Perspective replacement, is the World Wrestling All-Stars 2002 Australia-based pay-per-view, The Eruption. <laughs> oh, no. The Australian Eruption? That no, it's, it, like it a is a, it was a, a pay-per-view made with uh, has-beens and former WCW talent, um, but it was... It was put together by an Australian promoter named Andrew McManus. Um, okay. And they shot two pay-per-views here in Australia, one mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. Um, didn't go very well. Uh, if you watched the whole of this, you'd understand why. Um, but I believe this is the one I was at, and I can't guarantee it, but um, if it is... Um, 
See if they, you can spot Travis in the wow, audience. More than that, the problem, one of the main problems was the ring announcer didn't even get the name of the promotion right. Um, oh, I, I don't know if that's in this copy here, but like, you know you're onto a bad thing when mm -hmm. the promoter, the uh, ring announcer doesn't even know the name of your promotion. All right. Well, this is so, get, um, at checkout. Use hashtag no discount at checkout. They were selling the DVDs on the night, so they, it would have been good to get no discount. Maybe. <laughs> Broadcasting live tonight for what will be an explosive night of wrestling action. Disco Inferno with me here at ringside. Disco, certainly an explosive night here for the fans. We already had an eruption here. It's already started off. It's going to be an exciting night. We got Nathan Jones defending the WWA World Heavyweight Champion. Wow. And certainly the eruption tonight for the World Wrestling All Stars. We are looking forward to seeing that, and of course, so many matches on hand here tonight for the fans of the World Wrestling All-Stars. Jeremy Borash and the Disco Inferno here at ringside. And certainly, tonight, we're also going to crown a brand new International Cruiserweight Champion of the World, as we're going to have a mini tournament, and certainly, we're looking forward to seeing what happens when we award a brand... Wait a minute. Pulling up now to the Rod Labor Arena here in Melbourne, Australia. this wait a minute that's it the master and the ruler of the world the world wrestling all-stars commissioner sid vicious is here in melbourne for the eruption from the world wrestling all-stars certainly you gotta wonder sid vicious here tonight making a return to pay-per-view we're looking forward to seeing what brand of explosiveness to use the word again we're going to see from sid vicious well, i wonder what sid's got on his mind i mean the last time he was in the ring he broke his leg so should be interesting to see Sid Vicious back in action here. All right, let's take it down to ringside for our opening contest. Here from the eruption for the World Wrestling All-Stars. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Wrestling fans around the world, my name is Mark Erickson. Welcome to the Rod Laver Tennis Center here in Melbourne, Australia. For the World Wrestling All-Star Wrestling Extravaganza, Eruption! Please welcome your play-by-play -play announcer. First of all, the voice of World Wrestling All Sports, All-Star Association, Jeremy Boras. It's right here. Right here. We're here already. Announce the match. And his announcing partner, Melbourne, Australia, please welcome the one and only Disco Inferno.
It's AJ Styles in the ring for the World Wrestling All-Stars as we kick off our international. Goodness me, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Very yeah. young AJ Styles for the yeah. WWE fans out there. There was some talent on display. Yeah. There was nobody back then. Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, you, can, you can see, I don't know if anyone's ever been to a wrestling event, but that was, um, that was pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the one. He did say all sports. Um, and then he announced the freaking commentators who were already sitting at ringside. It was um an absolute schmozzle of a show. I'm curious the uh, the the branding for it. So like, yeah, Melbourne, Australia. We're gonna call it eruption where there are no volcanoes. There were a series of these. Um there was um inception. Retribution, the reckoning, the revolution, the eruption. I think that was all they did. Um, and, uh, revolution was in uh, Las Vegas. Um, and um, the talent on the, the main event of uh, the eruption, eruption in Melbourne was Scott Steiner uh, versus Nathan Jones. And if there's any WWE fans who are watching, Nathan Jones did work for WWE for a little while. Yeah, and there's a reason that he, they would no, it didn't work out very well. Uh, he's been in movies, he was in a few movies. He uh, was in um, Mad Max Fury Road, he was in Troy. Um, big guy, big guy, big, yeah, pretty much. And mm -hmm. a guy couldn't wrestle to save his life. Um, um <sighs> and uh, look, I mean, Scott Steiner wasn't at his best either, but me, my good, he had to work hard to make him look good. Mm -hmm. um, but some of those guys in there, some of those guys in there were actually like you see Ajo Styles and some of the cruiserweights in there were actually pretty good. Sorry, we didn't mean to make this a wrestling conversation, but uh, <gasps> it was it was embarrassingly bad, embarrassingly bad. <laughs> now, should we talk about the other thing we've both seen? Sure, the, the peripheral. peripheral. I had no idea what the fuck this was, other than it, it was being promoted at the Wazoo by. Prime mm. uh, on and had Chloe Grace Moretz in it. Um, this mm. is pretty fucking good. Set mm. in the future, when technology has subtly altered society, a woman discovers a secret connection to an alternate reality as well as a dark future of her own. Mm -hmm. So, as we said, this stars Chloe Grace Moretz. It's probably also you met it at the start of a show. It's creators. Are probably some of the uh, most uh, notable people being the pe Jonathan Nolan and Co. who are behind uh, Westworld. Um, it is of also based on a book by William Gibson, the um, iconic, mm. I think it's iconic, it's a right word, iconic science fiction author. 
um, writer of the uh, a book that Johnny Mnemonic was based on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I think he also the guy who came up with the phrase cyberpunk. Uh, I think he's the godfather of the cyberpunk genre, yeah, if I'm not I mistaken. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. I could be. It's happened before. Um, no, 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 we're never wrong. No. We were <laughs> mistaken, yes, but we were yes. never wrong. I have no, never heard of anybody else on this TV show. Me neither. Other than Chloe Grace Moretz, but they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, considering the... The pedigree of Jonathan Nolan, especially in his TV stuff, is mind-bending, surreptitious narrative storytelling. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that sort of thing in this, especially with what he did going into season three of uh, The Westworld, um, Person of Interest, the movies that he's been involved with, with his brother, and... Um, uh, Wally Fisher, I think, was the guy who directed um, Transcendent, and I think Jonathan Nolan helps the, with the script treatment or something like that for that one as well. So he likes blending technology and society and reality. Those those are the kind of three of the things that he likes to likes to do. Um, as a side note. This made me remember a movie that is really interesting for every possible reason. It is a Japanese-Polish cross-production directed by Mamori Oshi. Now, Mamori Oshi is more famous for his animation because he directed Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the Shell 2, The Skycrawlers, this was his first live-action movie called Avalon. And if you can see it, if you can find it somewhere, watch it, because it's fucking cool, fucked up. It does things that The Matrix tried to do, but it doesn't matter in some ways. It's a really interesting production. I'm guessing this is the 2001 film, not the 1990 film starring Aiden Quinn. Correct. Yes, it is the 2001 movie. Um, and it's really interesting. But there was definitely a lot of vibes of that movie in the peripheral. Um, immediately you get, we are first shown um, a scene from like 2099 or right on the, on the second half of the the two thousand, uh, the the two thousand two thousandth uh, millennium, um, and then it flashes back to like twenty thirty six or something like that. So we are looking at um, a borderline generational thing um, and uh, a legacy storytelling archetype here. Um, and cause and effect of science fiction. You see um, Chloe Moritz Grace's character, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz's character, uh, Flynn Fisher, and her brother Burton look after their mother who needs to have specific pill because of pain management for some reason or another. Um, but there's subtle improvements on technology that we're seeing, as well as some kind of augmentation, particularly on Burton that we've seen, that apparently has some side effects of 
pain management requirements. Um, there's the ideas of like a little bit Johnny mnemonic of the visor and ready player one kind of thing going on where they go into mm. these games. Um, but uh, Burton Fisher is the lesser player of this world and um, Flynn often takes over because there seems to be some kind of sexual uh, or sexism on who actually runs this character. And I'm sorry, are you accusing gamers of being sexist towards women? I mean, yes, I, I just said it. I mean, what happens in the next 10 years that possibly could lead to a world where that happens? Look, unbelievable. Sometimes you have to take these leaps of reality, and this is what happens, you know. Um, but uh, Flynn is definitely the better of the players, and um, because of this notoriety, and it's noted in the in the start, she's one of very few people to get to like a level one hundred and seven in this game. Um, they get offered a a job with this new peripheral. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Um, and very quickly, we are showing that this is next-gen tech. Something different is going on here. But then it very quickly kind of starts getting really twisted and weird and unusual. And Jonathan Nolan must... He must be a gamer. Considering the storytelling that he was doing in Westworld from season one to season two to season three and the evolution outside of the programmed route of AI and things like that. And the way that he's, the way that he builds these worlds, he must be a fucking gamer because you, you the first time that Chloe puts on the peripheral, we see he, uh, she takes over the, um, uh, the avatar of, of their character and it's just this world and you see little nods to things like the navigation it's just some arrows on the on the road that's like oh yeah that's that's a that's a fucking heads up display and all the things like that and you just kind of go ah, yeah, that'd, be, that'd be cool and yeah, you know, give me that to cyberpunk 2 or whatever that would be really fucking cool the vr version of that fucking that would be amazing there's, there's a, a vr version of cyberpunk there is coming I believe it's on, I believe they're working on it, if I'm not mistaken. That's weird. Still, first-person um, perspective game where you can't see your own character, and yet you can spend a lot of time working out what your character look like. Look like. Um, my bad. Yeah. Sorry, someone did a mod where you can oh. do that. It wasn't CD okay. Project Red. So my bad. You bitch. Um, but yeah, as I say, the story. Um, it's a bit of a slow boiler setting setting the world up or the expectations of the world. Very um, the it feels strangely kind of in like the the dying slow death of society where no one seems to be particularly rich in the area that Flynn lives and um, it looks almost like a like a forgotten hick town kind of feel to it. And they've got that little bit of a hick accent to them, but there's nothing real deep South or anything like that. It's just subtle. But then there's like, Oh, he's going to a bar to get medication for her mother. And there's little bits of things like she, one of looks like a friend who's lost three limbs because of a war. Um, there's lots of things that just lead to what this world is, but we don't, 
see any of that yet. But that, that, that feeds into that ready player one. Yeah. Just yeah. to pick you up on a point from earlier about Jonathan Nolan, mm. uh, not only is he directing the Fallout TV show for, for Prime, um, which we got our first image of today. Mm, um, so that says to me that he potentially is a gamer. Yeah. I've also, he presented an award at the Game Awards uh, earlier in the, last year. And there's a, like a, a story here on IndieWire. Um, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy explain the impact that Pokemon Go and Grand Theft Auto had on Westworld. Um, okay. <laughs> I think you're right. I yeah. Think you're right. Yep. He's a gamer. I think he's a gamer. Yeah. Um, you're right. This is a world that is not in a good place. No. But, and it's interesting contrasted to the other reality we see in 2099, which seems less rough, yeah. but also less populated. Yes. Yes, definitely. That's something it, it kind of feels like that. Um, when you go into an open world game and it's like, oh, it's supposed to be a bustling city. There's 10 people. Because the computer can't can't manifest enough people to make it feel like a bustling city, so we're just told that it's a city, and oh, it's nighttime. That's why there aren't as many people. You might have got away with that fifteen years ago, but when you see games do it today, and you're like, "Sorry, Grand Theft Auto Four is uh, Five. Sorry, is ten years old." Yeah, that feels like a real city. Yeah. So if Rockstar did it 10 years ago, and you can't, sorry, off topic, but uh, <laughs> I hate when open world games do that. Like, fuck, how hard can it be? I mean, I'm not a game designer. I don't get it. But, like, they did it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course they're Rockstar. We'll get there first. But you can't figure it out in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I also really, really dug this. I like, It was a slow mm. burn, this first episode. Mm. I'm just telling saying it is worth hanging in there for the second episode. Mm-hmm. Is it really starts to hit its straps? It gets a lot more action focused mm-hmm. in the second episode. Yeah. Um, I think you can guess what it is. You've seen the conclusion of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for people uh, if they want to go in and watch it. But mm-hmm. um, the what is hinted at, or what is or the way the first episode ends. Uh, is resolved in the first you know, 20 minutes of the second episode mm-hmm. very, very nicely. Yeah, um, it's a great and, sequence. And we get... So you've seen both episodes? I haven't finished episode two. Ah, so you've seen that part. You know, that, was, mm-hmm. that was a very cool scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we move into perhaps a, what one call the exposition phase of the story mm. uh, as we really start to learn what the sim that uh, is being accessed is really about. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a great, uh, sorry, Flynn, the sim that Flynn is accessing, what's going on with it. And look, um, I guarantee you would have picked up what was going on in the first 20 minutes yourself because that's your superpower. Um, I, I don't think you needed your superpower to go, oh, okay, it's not a sim. It's this, uh, yeah. So not really a sim that she's accessing. But that said, the revelation's handled pretty well mm. in, in the, the, by the end. I don't know if you got that far into the episode or not, but um, uh, they also have a conversation. It's just the akin, akin to, oh, I don't know what I said. The conversation in the library in Back to the Future 2, where they have that sort of five minutes of exposition with Doc Brown tries mm. to explain what's going on. They have that kind of moment here. I don't do it quite as well, but it's pretty good. Mm, mm. 
This does definitely, um, even just the, the first 25 minutes, 30 minutes that I've watched of episode two, it does add more weight to my rule of streaming shows. If they release more than one episode at the very start, it's because they've got very different pacings. Lord of the Rings, Return, uh, Rings of Power did it. This has done it where it's like, okay, we are we are showing you this world in the first episode. It's going to be slow, but we're going to give you the action straight away in episode two, and you don't even have to wait. Isn't it great? And it's a smart, smart way of doing business. Yeah, yeah, it works. For, it works nine times out of ten because most of the time you kind of go, all right, well, I watch one episode. I can watch the second one. That's fine. Even if you do Long, long these are long episodes too they're about an, over an hour one hour 12 for the first one one hour five minutes for the second that's a long episode you might expect like a movie length kind of long episode the first one but mm -hmm. give the next one to drop down a bit but um no does not appear to be the case yeah um have we got uh information on how long season one is like how many episodes eight okay all right. So the next one uh, and premieres on Friday night. So uh, here in Australia, anyway. So I will be. I think I'll be following this one through. This is more in my wheelhouse mm. than, than Rings of Power. This is kind of dystopian, mind bendy science fiction. This is mm. this is my more my sweet spot than the yeah. elves and wizards. Um, so <laughs> um, not that I've read any William Gibson. I don't want to give anybody that indication. Um, it's going to be cyber elves. Cyber elves, well, they could have elves, you know, it's virtual reality, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the most unrealistic thing in this show is the fact that anybody gives a shit about VR in 10 years, because, okay. yeah, <laughs> I mean, Ooh. come on. Ooh. Have you seen the metaverse? Have you seen what Facebook's doing with it? Y yes, but that's, you know, no one's taking that seriously. <laughs> uh, apart, from their apart from their shareholders. Uh, welcome to the meta. Um, but no, I'm overall really enjoying how this is going. The production value is really solid. Um, the cast are all doing a really good job. They're doing a well enough job. Like, there's a lot of the mystery of this show. I don't think they're really trying to keep a mystery because it seems kind of tropey, but they're telling it in a good way, in a compelling way. They're keeping the story going. They're showing us some interesting characters. And it's amazing what story we will forgive if the character is interesting. And the family dynamic that we are introduced to with the Fishers is interesting. I'm curious about it and where they sit in the world and why, what the world is around them. So I am very willing to keep going down this rabbit hole and just seeing what's happening. To be fair, I'm one of the people that really loved um, season two of Westworld, and I thought um, season Your three. one. I, I I actually even enjoyed season three. I just uh, watched two episodes in the season two, and I'm just I'm not smart enough to watch this show anymore. It's, well, it's, it's, it's nothing it's, about smarts. Don't bring smarts into anything I do, Jesus. It just it just went way over my head, and I'm like, I don't fucking know what's going on in this show anymore. Yeah. But so far. I think it's safe for anyone who is concerned about that kind of thing, given that it was the last show that Jonathan and Lisa created, they might very well go into this and go, oh, am I going to be too stupid for this? Or is this going to be just too highbrow for me? No, it's, it's positing some relatively lofty notions, but nothing beyond what anyone 
is capable of doing or considering. Like every I'm take it. got a point of reference for video games, especially after COVID. I'm going to take a different tack on you. I think that's, that's the plot, having seen the end of episode two, mm. will put some people off. If your version of science fiction, if you found The Last Jedi a bit confusing because of all the twists and turns and, you know, deep story, you know, like of science, if you, if you get Star Wars as science fiction, um, yeah. it's arguable. Um, yeah. But if that's more your level of science fiction you enjoy, it's fine. Mm-hmm. This might be a bit much for you because I think this is going to take, look, I am familiar enough with William Gibson to mm. know, this guy doesn't write Dan Brown novels, right? Like this no. is intellectual, more closer to Asimov, mm. you know, than you know, um, than George Lucas. Mm. Um, so I think you can expect some brain bendy stuff. Okay. Okay. Now, this how they pull it off. I think the Matrix was like that. Mm. I think the, the genius of the Wachowskis was they found a way to tell that story in a manner in which people could get their heads around it. And I think some of that was some brilliant visual storytelling. I think of the, the scene of a battery, you know, and, mm. um, you know, the conversation between Neo and uh, in the, in the, the, the real world. Um, mm. I don't know if Jonathan, I don't believe that Jonathan Nolan is inclined to do that. Mm. Uh, I've seen Westworld and he didn't seem to give much of a shit about whether you understood it or not. Mm. Um, it was just, it was what it was. Mm. So, my feeling is, I think I would, if you definitely give it a go, it's mm. this great storytelling in the first two episodes. It looks really entertaining. It gets busy eventually. You do need the story to give a minute to get it going. I still found the first episode intriguing. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, if you're looking for, you know, some explosions, it, it takes a while to get there. Mm. Um, I just think some people, you probably might, if you, if you find it a bit much, if you're mm. looking for something purely escapist. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for the next Fast and Furious movie, this isn't it. No, no, this is this is definitely not that. Um, but I'm very keen to watch the rest of episode two and see what else comes about because this is my kind of fun. <laughs> no, this is I'm this is what I like. This is yeah. my kind of jam. Yeah. But I'm just saying I understand it's not everyone's. Mm. And, you know, if I tried to sell this to Michelle after mm. she came home after, you know, a nine-hour day at work, I'm <laughs> probably not going to get it across the line. Yeah. Do you want to watch something? It's 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 not too complex. <laughs> not saying she's not handling She can definitely handle a complex story. It's just oh, that we're going to going to save that for the record. Yep. yep, like yep. If you, you know what I mean? Like, you come home after work and your brain is fried. This is not the show for you. Mm. If you really want, if you if it's the middle of the day on a Saturday and you've have just woken up and you don't have a hangover, this mm. might be more incl- what you're inclined for. If you're in the mood for something dumb and easy and disposable, mm. don't come down this path. Mm-hmm. Speaking of dumb, easy, and uh, perfect kind of popcorn stuff, can I talk about Black Adam? By all means, fantastic. <laughs> Black Adam. The movie, the 15-year-old development love project of Dwayne The Rock Johnson is finally out and about. And I'm just going to bring up, um, uh, no, it's not called The Rock. It's called Black Adam. (laughs) Um, It's 
the as he, he is nothing if not a consummate permanent self-promoter and he'll you know he comes out so like this is the movie where the uh, the power dynamic of the dc universe will change and all that stuff is like mm, no it won't no it won't this is a rock movie this is a superhero movie in an age where we have a lot of superhero movies and we have a lot of dwayne the rock johnson movies and with both of those pieces of information you know exactly what you're going to get with this movie no brains spectacle a story that gets from a to b with an attempt at family those mm. are the hallmarks of <laughs> of a of a of a dwayne johnson movie and it hits those in the first five minutes you know exactly what kind of movie this is going to be and it does not waver from that and in some ways there's a charm to that a a simplicity to it there's like oh yeah wasn't, wasn't it nice when there was just a standalone movie that just did that it's kind of enjoyable just because that's what it wants to be but at the same time you're kind of going yeah but i kind of feel like i've seen this already and i kind of feel like it's sort of been done better and i kind of feel like the rock isn't a good actor and it's still entertaining though so oh, fuck it it's it's fine it's fine whatever for those who don't know <clears throat> nearly five thousand years after he was bestowed with the almighty powers of the egyptian gods and hmm, that's wrong it's not the egyptian gods it is the the wizards of the eternal uh, the rock of eternity uh same wizards that appeared in shazam um he is then very quickly imprisoned just as quickly black adam is freed from his earthly tomb ready to unleash his unique form of justice on the modern world and this movie has we talked a little bit about the, um, the end of episode two of the peripheral being uh, the exposition dump portion of the story. The first 25 minutes of Black Adam is exposition dump because it goes to 2600 BCE, talking about Kandak, a fictitious country where, as is always the case, they were indentured servitude because of one cruel, ruthless leader that wants to, because, you know, no, no one ever wants to go, you know what? I'm going to make a weapon out of all the good gods. No one ever does that. They always go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try and tame the power of these demons because that's a good idea. Demons are entirely trustworthy. Yes. Nope. <clears throat> But that happens, and there's a revolution, and the symbol of Kandak comes into existence, and we see this message. Sure this, is, this isn't the Scorpion King, because it sounds a bit like that. <laughs> That's why I said you kind of feel like you've seen this before. Whoops. <clears throat> um, it's got better CGI than the Scorpion King, that's for sure. Oh, that would be difficult not it's to. It's not hard. Um and then it cuts to present-day Kandak, where the people of Kandak are still under the 
militia rule of Intergang, which is a notorious DC Comics persistent villain of the world. And they are farming Eternium because, you know, why not? Why not? Um, well, I, guess the, I guess the Bitcoin's lost a lot of value, so you got to mine something. Yeah, and they couldn't use unobtainium because, you know, that's that, that was Avatar. two on the nose for Avatar. Uh, unobtainium, seriously. <laughs> um, and he says that uh, characters in uh, superhero movies are shallow. Your naming of things is shallow. <laughs> um, but, yes, they are trying to find this, and we meet... Let's just make sure I'm getting all the names right here. Um, Sarah Shahi playing Adriana Tomaz. And she is, we're never told exactly what she is, but she is a wanted person by Intergang because she seems to know the location of the tomb where Crown that was created 2,600 years ago by pure in by pure Eternium and can house and create the power of the seven demons of the underworld is buried as well as its guardian protector, the champion of Kandak, Teth Adam, because, you know, Adam is, you know, the first name that any human ever had, according to mm. religious beliefs. Um, and um, surprise, surprise, she leads them directly to what they want. And then it's a chase movie, essentially, where she grabs the um, the, the, the the crown and Intergang appears and she's like, give us the crown, blah, 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 blah. And she wakes the champion, which is Black Adam, as we see, or Teth Adam, as he is referred to, until the end of the movie, where he names himself Black Adam. And he lays waste, and we've seen this in the early so like footage that came out from uh, Comic-Con like, two years ago or something, where he's just there in a cape and just hovering, just picking bullets out of the, and just ripping people apart. It's quite a good action sequence, and it does kind of show him as a bawling rage monster of magic. It's kind of cool. Um, and then the the film just persists from there. But so many things about it do kind of date it as, well, this script was clearly written 15 years ago. For example, um, the boy that is, you know, required in all of these movies to help humanize the anti-hero uh, is called Bodhi Sabondi. That's the actor's name. His name is Amon and he is the son of Adriana. He goes around everywhere on a skateboard. Because, you know, military, military run country where there's plenty of new modern tech for, for most people. Yeah. Skateboards, eternally cool. Um, and he essentially kind of teaches, but loosely teaches Black Adam about the world miraculously black adam is able to speak modern kandakis um slash english just because story needs it i didn't get that shut up oh siri joins us yet again yes siri um but because whatever and 
after Black Adam's kind of rebirth to the modern world, there's enough destruction that Amanda Waller, Olivia Davis herself, um, is watching it, and she sends the Justice Society of America to go and rectify this. And apparently they have more information about who this champion really is versus the people of Kandak because of, you know, a cover-up and all the bad jokes. Mm. And for that, we have got, playing Hawkman, Carter Hall, we've got Aldous Hodge, who does quite a good job, actually. He's kind, kind of good. He's a bit of a shit, and that's what Hawkman is. We've got the eternal Piers Brosnan, playing Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson. We've got Noah Centino, who plays Atom Smasher. And we've got Quintessa Swindell, who plays Cyclone, who I've never heard of before in my life. And they are sent to neutralize and stop Black Adam from disrupting global justice and global stability. And rightly so, um, Adriana kind of chastises them and says, like, what we, we've been run by Intergang for years and no one in the world has ever come to help. Now we have our own champion and suddenly you want to arrest him. What the fuck's going on there? Like, that's a good point. That's an interesting story element that you, oh, you're not really going to do anything about that. Okay. Because yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. This is funded by America. America doesn't want to be a bad guy. I get you. And it's just so much there's like there, there's some elements in this movie that are interesting and incomplete. And uh, the director, Jean Colette Serra, uh, he has done not a lot. Um, yeah, not a lot by the looks of it. He is a competent director. It looks okay. Oh, that's right. He directed um, The Rock. He didn't have a rock movie, didn't he? Yeah, Jungle Cruise. Um, but apart from that, he's not really done anything particularly uh, well-established, except possibly Orphan and the 2005 terrible movie House of Wax, which I only really remember because it had Alicia Cuthbert and Paris Hilton in it. Um, um, yeah, but it's... You know, this is the character of Black Adam is interesting and compelling because he is an anti hero and he rules and protects Kandak with his own set of judgment. And by the end of the movie, you kind of get a little bit of that, but it's still very much, especially the mid credits cameo that comes in, which I won't spoil for anyone if you're, if you're interested. It's already been spoiled by The Rock anyway. Um, it's very much, okay, you can do what you like in Kandak, but America is going to police you from afar, which is sort of like, mm, that's a bit of a hot topic. Um, and that was, oh yeah, wait, there was a, a movie that made a joke about that. Uh, marionette puppets, what was it called? Ah, Team America, yeah. <laughs> um, so it doesn't quite sit as well as it should. It feels somewhat dated, but even then, it's still fine. It's fine. It's got the same meta score as Mallrats of 41, 
but the audience rating for this is like sitting at 90 or something. But I think that's more people loving The Rock rather than genuinely, genuinely assessing a movie. This is a 70. Not bad. It's fine. It does what it's trying to do. And hopefully they'll get a better director and a better writer for whatever they do next. But the mid-credit tease is probably, oh, wait. We're going to be doing Black Adam versus, aren't we? Well, you we know what he wants Black Adam to go against Superman. That's what The Rock's been talking about. So mm-hmm. I, don't know, I haven't seen it, but I mean, I don't think it's going to be a shock to anybody who's been reading any of the press. Yeah. About this. The, the, the question on that one is oh, who's going to be Superman? It's revealed everything as to what happens in Black Adam 2 or going forwards like the next the next dc movie i think we've got coming out is shazam 2 fury of the gods how apparently hasn't been testing well with test audiences i'm shocked (laughs) i'm not shocked um but i would be surprised if considering the fact that black adam's magic word to turn him into black adam is shazam he's probably going to make a cameo in shazam 2 so you know this is fine it's not worth really worth a movie ticket but go on tight ass tuesday get yourself save yourself 12 bucks on the ticket and then it's worth it this is fine that's it that is my review of blacker <laughs> so it sounds like it's a maybe it's you know marvel has done much better movies overall this is probably uncomfortably on the slightly better scale side of the scale for dc movies it's not great but it's kind of in the same way that wonder woman so that goes all right we know what gal gadot can do as an actress and we are going to hang the film around that with this they went okay we know what the rock looks like Let's hang it around that. <laughs> so they've, they've done that. Well, he's the biggest movie star in the world, according to depending who you listen to. At the moment, um, yeah. So, I mean, if he wants to be in one of your movies, you yeah. say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to something a little bit more nuanced. I mean, very, very, very different from uh, Black Adam. Yeah. Go for that it. is the uh, Netflix movie. At least it's on Netflix in Australia. I can't speak for overseas. Uh, I suspect it's in maybe. select cinemas, I think. Uh, this played it with Stranger, mm. starring Joel Edgerton. Uh, this was playing at MIF, the Melbourne International Film Festival here in Australia. Um, I uh, was planning to see it, but I um, didn't get around to it, unfortunately, uh, at, the, at the festival. So I'm very happy it's mm. turned up now on Netflix. Uh, two men who meet on a plane and strike up a conversation that turns into friendship. It's only more of a bus than a plane, frankly. But anyway, uh, for Henry Teague, worn down by a lifetime of physical labor and crime, this is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. We are uh, the slightly more detailed synopsis here. A friendship formed between two strangers for Henry Teague, worn down by a lifetime of physical labor, is a dream come true. His friend, new friend Mark becomes his savior and ally. However, neither is who they appear to be. Each carries secrets that threaten to ruin them. And in the background, one of the nation's largest police operations is closing in. 
Mm. Um, so as I said, it stars Joel Edgerton. He's direct and written and directed by Thomas Wright, who has done some stuff you might have heard of. He did Top of a he was an actor mainly, including in stuff like Top of a Lake and Everest, which I think you and I went and saw that at the movies. It, yeah. Um, in terms of a director, he hasn't done a lot or as a writer or director just yet. He's only ever created is something called Acute Misfortune, mm. um, which I've never heard of. Mm. Uh, we probably should all be familiar with geologist and now, right? He's a bit of a star, he's a bit of a name. Yeah, um, he plays Mark Frame, uh, okay. and Henry Teague is played by Sean Harris, who didn't look familiar to me. But when you look up his resume, he's done a lot of stuff. He was yeah. in a couple of Mission Impossible movies, yep. he was in The Green Knight, yep. um, he's done Macbeth, um, yep. The Borges TV show. Um, he's, he's been around. Yeah, uh, he is far and away the highlight of this film. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. His performance is amazing. Okay. Um. So we meet him. He's it says a plane. I thought it was a bus. Um. And he um meets a, a guy named Paul on the bus who starts to chat. Be, be, um strikes up a conversation. They start the beginnings of a friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are on a bus from Queensland to Perth. Um, so um, I have instant distrust of them. Well, if you're in Queensland, isn't you know you distrust them? <laughs> um, I just recently took a train from Sydney to Perth, um, mm. and it's a fucking long way. So mm-hmm. on a bus, it wouldn't be much fun. It says it's a plane. I'm sure it's a bus. Um, and shortly after arriving. Uh, Paul introduces Henry to Mark as someone who can help him out with some work. Uh, Henry says he can't work. He's good with his hands, but he won't be able to do that anymore because of some injuries and stuff he sustained. His body's not up to what it was in Mm. the past. So the opportunity to do some work with Mark really sort of saves his bacon. He's got no other way to earn an income. Mm. Um, And it's indicated that, you know, what he's going to be doing with Mark is slightly shady. Mm. Um, we should probably put the, the spoiler warning up. I will keep the spoilers Spoiler. to a minimum. Spoilers, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to know nothing, that's that's the first you know five minutes. I think, but I'll, I'll give away one a couple of plot points in here mm-hmm. um, for those who uh, are keen to stay on board. We quickly find out that Mark uh, Jolligson is an <laughs> undercover cop. <gasps> Um, and that Henry T is the focus of his efforts. And what he's involved in is running what's called um, a Mr. Big Sting. Um, if you're a true crime nerd like me, you might have come around across it before. I know that big in Canada, and uh, I know they do them in Australia as well now, where mm. they insinuate that the person, the suspect, in this case, uh, Henry T, that they are now part of a gang. Mm. A big, big, deep criminal gang who can um, relocate people and erase, you know, problems and clear up problems with police. You know what I mean? Mm. And the idea is you get them to tell you what they've done so that the Mr. Big can clear it up and make sure it goes away. Mm. Um, So, this is a police tactic used in a number of places. Are you a cop? You got to tell me if you're a cop. Uh, what is that from again? Uh, um, what is that from? Oh, doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, so 
we uh, set up for a bit of a, a game of cat and mouse between these two because obviously Henry doesn't know that, that Mark is a, is a cop and he mm. can't find out that he's a cop or that would obviously endanger the entire investigation and potentially put Mark in grave danger. Mm. What um, What's fascinating is the way the evolution of Henry's character as someone at the start of a film who is shifty, you know, uh, untrustworthy, mm. but he sort of feels kind of harmless, you know what I mean? He doesn't feel like a physical threat to anybody else mm. in the story. But as the film goes on and we learn more and more about who he is and what he's done and how it was got to this point in time in his life, that evolves into you start to feel he becomes a genuine menace. He's a, his character becomes genuinely menacing to the characters around him. And even though Mark's a cop and you would think he could handle himself, you're worried about what he could do to Mark if he finds out he's a cop. Mm. Um, and, and and always is is this air of what's coldness in in his in, in Henry's glare. And despite the fact, that, like you said, you don't really feel it at the start. You wouldn't put anything past him as a character. You would not put past him uh, being a, a very dangerous man. So this air of danger around him and and. That, I think, comes down to Sean Harris's incredible performance. Mm. Um, the plot of what the story is is based on a real story. I used the word story too many times, sorry. Um, if you're an Australian or just a true crime nerd, you might have heard um, the story of Daniel Morecambe, mm. um, who was a small boy who disappeared in Queensland about, I want to say, 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and this is based on that story and the hunt to try and find the killer. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I might be giving away too much there because you can just look up a story and it'll basically tell you the plot of a film. Um, but, but, but I guess the thing is for me, though, like I figured that out after about, you know, half an hour or so because like it's a very, very well-known story in Australia. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, but it was really big news, really huge news, and it regularly would come up over the past 20 years as a story of note. Um, hmm. And I remember the story that they got the guy eventually, and I vaguely remember reading about how they did it. So hmm. once I figured out, oh, this is the Daniel Morecambe story, you're like, okay, well, <laughs> that kind of dispatches with any real mystery here. <laughs> um, so that was the, kind of similar to your superpower there in a sense that once I knew I knew, then you knew. Like, okay, it's like, well, I, I don't need to guess how the plot ends. I know how it ends unless hmm. they've made a significant alteration to what happened in reality. Um, so if you're perhaps not Australian and you don't know the story, you might have more uh, enjoyment in this in the sense that you maybe don't know how the story works out, but you could probably put it all together. Um, this is The production value of this is fantastic. Uh, hmm. A lot of it is shot on location out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and you know, if you want to tell uh, a menacing story, the outback of Australia is a fantastic place to set it. Yeah. Because um, just the emptiness is somewhat menacing, mm-hmm. especially when you've got two people who are hiding something from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as I said, Sean Harris and Joel, Sean Harris is amazing. Joel Edgerton's great as well. And they have great chemistry together on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, if it's, it's not an uplifting story. There are some difficult topics explored mm-hmm. in the story i mean you know it's about a child killer mm-hmm. um but i still think this is well worth a look it's 
it's grungy, gritty, dirty, uh, rough Australian filmmaking at its best. There's no okay. polish. And it's not in the sense it looks bad or it sounds bad. It looks fantastic. Yeah. But I don't know if I can try and get that. It's something about Australian crime dramas that they don't do a lot in American stories or maybe the Brits a little bit, but it's, it's dirty, it's rough, it's sweary, it's hard, yeah. it's sweaty. There's, there's like an ultra hard-boiled nature to a lot of, particularly um, based on t- uh, true crime stories of Australiana and elements of Australian culture that are real and prevalent. They always end up just feeling, I don't know whether it's because of that open, vast emptiness that, so many people presume is us all of australia like they don't when they think of australia they think of crocodile dundee and the wilds and the the, the outback and this, uh, they don't often instantly go oh yeah melbourne or sydney um but then at the same time you think about uh what was it we watched uh was it the interview? waking fright oh waking... Interview. the interview yeah. sorry yes the yeah. the um, yeah, hugo weaving film yeah, and it was just that that closeness and the the grittiness, as you said, um, and then Wake and Fright as well is another one where a lot of that film is either open expanse of nothingness and void, or extreme close ups of getting into this person's fucking pain as much as they possibly can. And that seems to be kind of like a trope of Australian cinema in many ways. We do it well. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, this, this film is a fine example of that. Probably not on the level of something like The Interview or Wake and Fright, but if you've got Netflix, it's included. If this you like sounds crime, like a rare success of a Netflix movie? Uh, here's the thing. I don't know if this was made for Netflix or they just bought it. Ah. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference. yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to give this one a dot off the hat to This is a good Netflix film. And if, if I did fund this, then this is one of the few good things that can come as streaming films because, like, this, you need more Australian cinema like this. It's what we do well. Uh, yeah. And you see the talent on display here. Okay. Um, transmission films distributed in Australia, Netflix. There's a whole bunch of production companies involved, but they all seem to be Australian-based, and Netflix seems to be the only one. So we'll give them the benefit of a doubt, but they yeah. are involved in getting sure this got made. And look, yeah. as I said, this is this is the quality stuff that, like, and this is a, this is a transferable story. I would make this would make sense to an overseas person mm-hmm. if you can understand the Australian accents. I reckon so. Um, you know, they can then take this and they can put this on, you know, their US Netflix stuff and. Joel Edgerton's something of a face. People might be familiar with him overseas. He was, he's done some international work. Like, what's Uncle Ben doing? <laughs> he's in a couple of horror movies as well, I think, over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Gift? I think so. Um, but, yeah, he's certainly not yeah. a household name. But, like, he's, yeah, he's a big enough name or he's face. He's a big enough might... name, yeah. He's in Australia, but, like, I, I mean, I'm sure no one in the States will see it. Shall I pivot to something a lot lighter um, just quickly? Yeah. I'd like to, to quickly uh, cover off the, the debut of Season 2 of Avenue 5. Okay. I did talk about Season 1 way back Yep. last year or the year before. I don't remember. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is the created by Armando Iannucci, he of The Death of Stalin, uh, In Loop, um, that sort of thing. Uh, really well known for his insanely droll and dry comedies. Mm. Um, was he involved in Veep as well? I think he was. I think he was, and he was uh, he was the writing partner with uh, Chris Morris for a while. I think if he wasn't. He was the writer of Veep. So if you're mm. it's insanely high quality material there, very well known, but very <laughs> dry. Mm. Um, and this is a slightly different venture from him. The travel crew of Avenue Five, a space cruise ship filled with spoiled, rich, snotty space tourists, must try and keep everyone calm after their ship gets thrown off course into space ends up needing three years to return to Earth. Mm. Um, so it stars Hugh Laurie mm. as our Captain Ryan um, in, in the um, doing his American accent from House, which is great. Uh, Josh Gad <laughs> stars as Herman Judd, who is kind of the Elon Musk-type character who create, whose company runs these space cruise ships. Mm -hmm. Zach Woods um, from Silicon Valley, Mm. Um, uh, and as of a, uh, Andy Buckley's another face you might know. I don't exactly know mm -hmm. where I know him from, but I'm like, I've seen you in stuff. Yeah. Um, he was in Veep, Jurassic World, The Office. There you go. That's why I don't know him. I never watched it. Um, Lucy Punch is another name in here you might be familiar with. Um, Bad Teacher, Dinner for Schmucks, Into the Woods. Yeah. Um, oh, that's why I know her. She was in Confess Fletch recently. Um, and a few other British actors you are probably going to know who I don't recognize <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, so season two starts with a couple of months after the last episode, Avenue 5 passengers are still not aware of their current situation. The captain's service will tell them the truth. But the situation takes an unexpected turn. That current situation being that one of the passengers did something at the end of the previous season that now means they're another four years away from getting back home to Earth. Mm -hmm. um, and Captain Ryan is struggling to find out that despite all their hard work and their perseverance, they're still, you know, years away from getting home when everybody thinks they're a few weeks away from getting home. Oh. Um, yep. So that seems it's the central, you know, uh, problem of this um, uh, this season. Um in, in the unexpected problems just seem to pile up again and again and again. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting new um, plot points this season is the what's going on in the real ship is juxtaposed against a soap opera being broadcast on Earth called Avenue 5 based on what's really happening on the ship. Okay. So uh, in uh, episode is it three, I think, uh, some kids get their hands on the controls and uh, fuck with the, uh, the uh, course of a ship and steer it towards the sun. <laughs> and so that, okay. week's that week's episode of um, of Avenue 5 on Earth involves the ship steering towards the sun. It's truly god-awful dialogue. <laughs> something that provides so much light be so dark. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's... It's really fucking good this season, actually. Yeah, that's my reaction to it. But it, it yeah. was supposed to give you that reaction. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was supposed to be cheesy. Um, it's a lot of fun this season. I found the first season 
a bit hit and miss mm. um, in terms of where the jokes landed or not. And it wasn't quite as dry as mm. one would normally associate with Ainuchi. I'm, I'm going to pin it if I'm getting his name wrong. I'm sorry. Um, this one's maybe st- still not quite as dry as one might expect, but mm. I kind of feel like the cast and the writers have hit their stride. Mm. Um, and despite the fact it's probably been a year and a half since I watched it, it's quickly back in the groove and enjoying what's going on. And the highlight of a season so far for me has been Zach Woods. Zach Woods, I think, might be one of the most underrated star uh, uh, comedy talents in the world today, at least on film. I'm not talking about stand-ups and stuff. Um, I remember when you and I went and saw Ghostbusters in 2016, we laughed once in the entire film. Right at the beginning. Once, once, and that was right at the beginning, and the one joke that landed for the entire film was by Zach Woods Mm -hmm. uh, in the tour of a haunted house pointing out the anti-Irish fence. Uh, (laughs) um, This is still funny. Um, (laughs) He's he's perfectly suited to this kind of dry comedy that Iannucci specialises in, in the sense Mm. he has this way of delivering lines that are completely ridiculous but with a completely sincere and straight face. Um, in the most recent episode, they end up stopping at a space station, which they later discover is actually a space prison. Oh, no. um, and uh, one of the prisoners actually ends up being a stowaway on the ship. Um, and he has this incredible line at the end of the episode, like, you spent so much time focusing on the pedophile, you forgot about the cannibal. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just... Uh, you have to see the full episode to get it, but it is, actually, it is consistently and regularly cracking me up, and it is really, really well worth a look. If you found yourself a bit meh, on the fence after the first season, mm. come back and have another look. If you haven't seen it yet, maybe give it a go. If you liked Ainushi's other stuff, it is available in Australia on Foxtel or Binge. Okay. I don't know where you're going. HBO, HBO overseas, so... Probably yeah. on HBO Max in the States or wherever you get your HBO shit. Okay. Interesting. Right. Well, I'm going to quickly finish off with a few thoughts on the newest Nintendo Switch game to come out, which is the Ubisoft-produced and created Mario Plus Rabbids Spark of Hope. This is the follow-up to one from about five years ago, Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and it is... A turn-based strategy video game with Mario and the Ubisoft iconic sort of um, minions-like rabbits, which are apparently ridiculously popular in France and have got movies and things like that. And when this was, when the first one was um, leaked before it got revealed, everyone was like, "Really? What the fuck? Mario and rabbits? And Mario has a..." Gun? What? That's, that seems weird. But what turned out was really enjoyable, not overly complex of a turn-based strategy game, nothing to the point of like XCOM or that sort of thing, but it was enjoyable. It had a relatively fun, engaging story um, that just kept on going. There was DLC for it where the Donkey Kong family came in and you had different um maneuverability around the maps and stuff like that which is good and so i've been looking forward to a a, a hopeful sequel for a long time 
got announced and is now out. And they've managed to re retain that same kind of whimsical charm that they uh, bring to the, the rabbits generally try and bring, but with the bit more of that Nintendo sincerity of like Mario Party or any of the Mario games where it's like, we know that this is about a, a stereotypical Irish plumber in a mushroom kingdom. So we're not trying to tell you a captivating, compelling story about the end of the world um, and how it's invaded by clickers and you are going to have to save us all. This is Mario doing his thing of, oh, I see people need my help to save the galaxy again. I'm going to do that with a hop, a skip and a jump and land on my enemies' heads. And that's what it is. It's really engaging. It looks super pretty. I've got my Nintendo Switch OLED with the beautiful OLED screen. It looks stunning in uh, handheld mode. The sound is good. Um, the Everything about it is just entertaining. They've started bringing in some new characters, like there's a new Rabbids character, and Bowser comes into it at a later point. They've already announced there's going to be more Season Pass stuff. It is an Ubisoft game. Of course there's going to be a Season Pass. Um, the game mechanics are easy to pick up, but there is a good level of depth to it and replayability because they do have like um, uh, it's like ratings for each of the combat scenarios that you go into. They've got these largely open world areas and then much like an old school Final Fantasy game where you're walking around and suddenly you trigger a, ba um, a battle thing, it'll go into a battle sequence. You can move around, you collect stars to improve, you collect um, sparks to get extra attack or defense or um, counterattack capabilities with your character. And you can utilize those to, um, to improve your chances of succeeding. Um, it's a, on the surface level, it's kind of baby's first turn-based strategy, but there is depth to it in the similar way to how a lot of people refer to Pokemon as baby's first RPG, which is generally a fair assessment to it. It's not derogatory, in my opinion, to say that, because it is designed to be very easy to access for people. And that's what this is trying to do. It's got that very simple game mechanic and understanding you are sh every everything that you want to do. The, the HUD is always saying, you can do this. These, these are all of your options right now. It's your choice as to what you do when and how one will interact with the other. But we're going to tell you so that you don't come come to the move uh, to the game and go, I don't know what the fuck to do. Fuck it. You are encouraged to just start playing and seeing. All right, well, I'm going to see what this does. Oh, it tells me. Okay, cool. That's cool. All right, and it serves well by doing that. It's enjoyable. Not going to take a huge amount of time to play through, but there is replayability um, with that season pass and with being able to go back and improve your times of getting through the battles or like, yay, I did it without losing any of my party or anything like that. Unlike XCOM, people don't permanently die either. You can always, people always come back. You can buy, use um, Mario coins to restore health whenever you like, essentially. It's fine. There's a very basic skill tree, but they are actually useful skills to the, that help you navigate the map and become more of a death dealer. 
I assume the uh, Mario coins can be bought with real money. Uh, no, but they are liberal. And every time you, if you really wanted to, you could go through a door and then go back through the door and everything's reset and go through the door and go back through the door and just keep on farming coins. They are very happy. They don't want you to die. The d dying is not a problem in this game. You just kind of go, oh, all right, well, you just go back here then. <laughs> it seems it. to take away the, the stakes a little bit, doesn't it? Because when you really get pissed when you lose one of your top operators in XCOM. Yes, but this is not XCOM. This has got firmly got Mario on it. And Mar in Mario games, death is not the end. <laughs> you, you are not genuinely worried about dying. There are people who are like, oh, I managed to make it all the way through Mario 64 without dying once. It's like, cool, but... You still get everything the same if you, you know, that you, you collect stars and you've got health, but it's like, all right, it's not the end of the world because you only get put back a little bit and then you can just keep going. Death is not a problem in Mario World. There you go. If I ever played the Switch, maybe I'd play this. Yeah. It is, it is engaging. If you like turn-based um, strategy games, this is one that it's worth giving a try to if you want something that you don't need to invest a lot of brain power into. XCOM, there is definitely more of an underline of strategy, whereas this is turn-based strategy fun. <laughs> don't take it too seriously. Don't take it seriously, yes, don't. But uh, this Friday, we have got the next big game to be released, which is a remake, Modern Warfare 2. And I don't care. <laughs> no. I've got a wars out soon, though, right? Yes. Huh? You got a war out soon? Yeah, that comes out on 9th of November. Um, I never played the first one. Uh, I've never played them because there's so many games, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I've got a PlayStation. And I've pre-ordered God of War Ragnarok, but at the same time, it's like, hmm, I don't know. Apparently, I was reading a thing about it. Um, the young boy who plays Atreus from the first game into the second game, they spent so long in motion capture and voice recording that the boy's voice dropped and they had to go in and just edit all of his audio so it sounded the same. Uh, that sounds like it was in there for a long time then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they've had a lot of additional production companies helping out on this one they have either had difficulty maintaining the quality or they really wanted to make it big and impressive i'm hearing good things about it i'm sure it's great uh, if you only like only make big games now so this is another blockbuster it's gonna be huge it's gonna be huge if you like that kind of thing you got a playstation let's play as five um then you can yeah. probably yes Boys, well, but, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, I, well, I don't have time for games anyway, but um, yeah. forgive. Well, I, haven't, I haven't actually unpacked my get PS4, so, um, you know, I guess I won't be playing it. Not anytime soon, at least. No. But, you know, it's, it, it's another PlayStation game. You probably know what's going to happen just because it's PlayStation. So, like, oh, dramatic ending with another one coming soon. <laughs> The story's never over. But on that note, I think that brings us to the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. The end of the show. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. 
Now, just a recap on the show. We talked about our chain movie of the week, which is Mall Rats by Kevin Smith. Um, I have picked Dreamcatcher as our next movie, for, um, using Jason Lee as our connective tissue there. We talked about The Peripheral, um, Black Adam, Stranger, Avenue 5, and Mario plus Rabbit's Spark of Hope on Nintendo Switch. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can always join in with the conversation. Just come into Facebook, come to Twitter, uh, Twitch, and uh, YouTube. Leave your comments. If you've got recommendations for movies that we could watch, do so. We will happily watch some interesting new things. If you can try and watch my recommendation, which is Avalon. Very hard to come by. Um, otherwise, I think we did all of our spiel at the start of the show. I think so. <laughs> Look at that efficiency, ladies and gentlemen. Buy his book. Yes. Oh, that's the other thing. We can now do custom merch, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you, oh, you, you, you want uh, five out of seven Russian bots approved on a drinks bottle? Yeah, we can do that. You want it on a cap? We can do that. You want the Archer Producers logo on the back of a hoodie, which is nice and soft, and fluffy, and comfortable? We've got you. So uh, hit us up with your suggestions, and uh, we'll see if we can make it for you. I'm sure anything's possible. If in, if in, um, Everything is if possible. Within reason. <laughs> but now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We will be here same time next week. Good night. Good night.